0: Right, it is Monday, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. Cued up, Quentin Pelzel with you for the next twenty minutes or so. We'll see how it goes. Got a lot to talk about, as always. When is there not a lot to talk about? But I really do appreciate making me part of your day. Didn't do a podcast on Friday. I was out and about. Didn't get a chance to. But I'm back here. Hopefully, over the next few weeks, I can be a little bit more consistent. But there's a lot to talk about, of course, over the weekend if you were watching Spring Training Baseball, which it was the first weekend for Spring Training, and a lot of people were watching. I know a lot of people were watching on the SNY app if you're a Mets fan. I think they had over 5,000 people watching an intra-squad scrimmage on Friday. They had 5,000 people just streaming on YouTube and watching it. Incredible numbers. A lot of people are excited about Baseball being back, and of course the Mets with high expectations, the Yankees with high expectations, so we'll see how it goes. And the Mets, they did play today. I think they lost to the Cardinals. Doesn't really matter. At this point, after the first, I would say, four or five games, I'll give it the first week, actually. After the first week of spring training, everyone's just like, get me to the regular season, get me to the end of March, and that is when the regular season starts. And I think the players kind of have that same sentiment too. Once they get their timing down, like for hitters, like Pete Alonso, once he gets his timing down and once he starts hitting some home runs, which he did do actually on Friday night in his first game, I guess, in spring training, he went three for three with a home run. But once they start to really get their timing down, once they feel like they're ready to go, they don't want to be there anymore. As nice as the weather is, they want to get the season started and the fans do as well. So Hopefully, baseball season, it is right around the corner, but it's going to take some time. About 31 days, I heard, on sports radio this morning. 31 days until the regular season. But if you were watching baseball, or if you were watching Sports Center, or any major news outlet, they made the point of the pitch clock. And if you didn't know, there was a lot of rule changes this off season, from the bases getting bigger, from the banning the shift from um, also implementing a pitch clock, which we did see for the first time, or at least most of us fans saw for the first time over the weekend. And at first, when I first heard about implementing the pitch clock, I didn't really like it because I really don't like change. Honestly, I'm one of those, I kind of go against the gradient in terms of Being more old school, even though I am pretty young, pretty new to the game, but I do like old fashioned baseball, no DH, no pitch clock, no nothing, just keep it the way it was. But I gotta say, I do like the pitch clock, and I know a lot of people do like the pitch clock. Spring training games last year took over three hours to complete. This year, granted, it is only three games, so it's a small sample size, but These games are getting done in 2 hours and 38 minutes. You cannot tell me that you hate the pitch clock after that. I mean, going from over 3 hours to completing a game in 2 hours and 38 minutes, I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And it's the same amount of pitches, the same amount of swings, the same amount of everything except in a much smaller time span. Now, I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for people that say that baseball just takes too long or it's too boring or nothing happens. There's going to be more action in a less amount of time, and I think that is really good for the game of baseball. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. It's going to be around for a while. I think the overall impression of the pitch clock has been positive, and I think because of that, MLB is going to keep it around. It's going to be here and you just got to deal with it. At first, I thought that it was going to favor the pitcher immensely, and I think it still does, but I'm taking a look at these spring training scores. like They're scoring some runs, especially early on in spring training when pitchers are supposed to be way ahead of hitters, but it's not like that, and Max Scherzer came out a couple days ago and said that he has a lot of the control of the game, and that is true, but for the hitters, they just need to adjust, and I think they will. I think it's going to be overall really good for the game of baseball. And if you think about it, all the other regular season games in pro sports take about two hours and 30 minutes. That is the gold standard of time for a regular season game. If you look at an NBA basketball game, two hours, 38 minutes for Knicks and Nets to play. If you look at an NHL game, two hours, 30 minutes for um, you know the Rangers or the Islanders or the Devils to play. And... For baseball, it is three hours if you're lucky. Three hours would be a quick game last year or over the past, I would say, decade or two. If it got done in three hours, these guys were flying. And it never used to be like that. I didn't grow up in the 80s or the 90s, but all I can do is just look back at the game logs to see how long these games took. When Tom Seaver was pitching and when Doc Gooden was pitching and all the great pitchers for the Mets, they were all pitching in games that took just over two hours. It was two hours, 10 minutes, two hours, 15 minutes. But over the past, I would say 30 years, we have seen an evolution of these hitters just getting so comfortable in the box. Derek Jeter comes to mind. Alex Rodriguez comes to mind, taking a pitch, stepping out adjusting the batting gloves, adjusting the arm guard, adjusting your shin guard, kicking your cleats, kicking your bat, swinging the bat a few times, and then finally getting back in the box a minute and 30 seconds later. And that adds up. You do that five or six times in at bat. I mean, there's your 25, 30 minutes that you're cutting down by implementing this pitch clock. And for everybody saying, keep the game the same, keep the game the same, and that was what I was saying too, but then I realized, I mean, the game – was under two hours and 30 minutes back 30, 40 years ago. We're going to try to get the game back to where it was. It has changed over the past 30, 40 years to the point where these games were over three hours long. So Major League Baseball wouldn't have had to implement the pitch clock if the game just didn't get so far out of hand in terms of the time that it takes from beginning to end. So I think it's a great change for baseball, and the pitch clock is going to be able to be used throughout the game. They're going to implement it from the beginning to the end in big situations. It's still going to be implemented. Like We're not going to get to the 8th and ninth inning, and then all of a sudden everybody just starts taking their time. We saw it in the spring training game. It was the Red Sox and the Braves, and a Braves batter got called out, actually. It was an 0-2 count. And uh, he took too long to get back in the box. The umpire called a strike, and that was the game because they don't play extra innings in spring training, and that's how the game ended, actually, in a tie game. But, um, you know, even in the eighth and ninth inning, the umpires are still going to crack down on it, and I think that is great. So pitch clock is going to be a topic that we're going to be talking about for the rest of spring training, and then, of course, the start of the regular season, and then It'll probably die down for a little bit, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a game that's called in the middle of the season where the batter's going to forget or the pitcher's going to forget to throw a pitch or step in the box or step out, and then all of a sudden one of these games are going to be decided on one of these violations with the pitch clock. It's going to happen at some point in the regular season, and I don't know if it's going to happen a lot because by that time I think the hitters and the pitchers will be fully adjusted, but I think it will happen at least once or twice throughout the regular season, where there will be a game that is decided or that is seriously influenced on this pitch clock rule. That's really all I wanted to talk about in terms of baseball. Nothing really too much to report for the Mets or the Yankees. Um, still, a lot of the pitchers haven't gone yet for each team, and a lot of the young players for each teams are getting in on the action. Jason Dominguez actually hit a home run for the Yankees' top prospect for them, a.k.a. the Martian, that's what they call him, and uh, it was good to see him hit a home run, and Yankees fans were salivating over that clip that he had in the first Yankees spring training game. So, good for the Yankees fans that they were able to finally see Dominguez hit a home run. Probably won't see him again for another couple years, but that's just what it is. Moving on now to the NBA, I do want to talk about the Knicks because they are absolutely playing out of their minds right now. They've won seven of eight, and don't look now, but they're actually creeping up in the standings on the Brooklyn Nets. Right now, I believe they're fifth in the Eastern Conference. And when the trade was made for Josh Hart a couple weeks ago, Josh Hart, they got him from the Trailblazers, a shooting guard. And he really has been a wonderful addition to this team. The Knicks right now are sixth. The Nets are fifth, technically. And actually, in terms of games back, Um, both of them are nine and a half games back of first place, so Knicks-Nets virtually tied in the Eastern Conference, and right now, the Knicks have won five games in a row, as I said, seven of eight, and I think they're definitely going to catch the Nets. A lot of people were saying, oh no, the Nets are probably going to be solidified in that fourth or fifth spot, but all of a sudden, the Knicks are on fire, and there's a pretty decent chance they can get the four seed, and that would be immaculate just because you wouldn't have to play the top three teams in the Eastern Conference in the first round. You wouldn't have to play the Celtics or the Bucks, who are playing, or I think I've won 15 games in a row at this point. So you wouldn't have to play the Bucs. You wouldn't have to play the Celtics. You wouldn't have to play the 76ers, even though out of those three teams that I just mentioned, if you play the 76ers, I think you have a pretty Decent chance to move on, even though you're probably not going to. The 76ers are a much better team than the Knicks are, but at least the Knicks have a fighter's chance or more of a fighter's chance against the 76ers over the Celtics or the Bucks. So it is imperative that the Knicks at least get the sixth seed. But if they can move up to either the fifth seed or the fourth seed, then you're talking about either playing the Cavaliers or the Brooklyn Nets, or the Miami Heat. And then all of a sudden, you have a pretty good chance of moving on, at least get out of the first round, and start building something here in New York for the Knicks. They added Jalen Brunson, who probably should have been an all-star in the offseason. So you have Brunson, you have an all-star already in Julius Randle, you have a couple young pieces, you added Josh Hart, and you're getting Mitchell Robinson back. This team is playing really well at a very important part in the NBA season and I think there's a pretty good chance they can move out of the first round if the matchups dictate that. They need to get either the th- the 4th, 5th or 6th seed and once they do that, I think they will be okay. Right now they're locked into the 6th. If they move down to 7 or 8, then I think when you match up against the Celtics or the Bucks in the first round of the Eastern Conference, you're just going to get your doors blown off. At least you got a chance. If you can move out of the first round, you move into the second, and then really anything can happen, even though you're still probably going to lose. At least you're building a culture. At least you're building some winning, and these young players can be exposed to playoff basketball at the Garden and in the Eastern Conference. So I think it's really important that we talked about the Knicks because They're playing really well. I haven't talked about them too much in my podcast. As for the Nets, they're heading in the opposite direction of the Knicks. The Nets have actually lost seven of their last ten, including the last two. Knicks and Nets will play on Wednesday. The Knicks tonight have a game against the Celtics. Of course, that's going to be a big game that the Knicks can try and steal. But Knicks and Nets on Wednesday, a huge game that can really dictate how the Eastern Conference will be played from or from here to the rest of the season. So the Nets are clinging on for dear life for that five seed right now that they have. And if the Knicks can pass them, I'm not so sure the Nets are going to regain that spot. So the Nets right now, they are holding on and the Knicks are coming for them right now. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'll definitely talk about that on Friday after this week transpires. Huge week for these two local teams in the NBA. Elsewhere now, the NFL. I do want to touch on this a little bit right before I leave here. No big news on Aaron Rodgers. I think last time I talked to you, he was still in that darkness retreat. Well, he is out of the darkness retreat. The owner of the place that Aaron Rodgers was staying at, he came out on social media and I guess did this big thing. Rodgers didn't really like that. But it doesn't really matter. So he is out. We still do not have an update. Apparently, Rodgers went in there just to clear his mind, not really thinking about football at all or which team he's going to go to, whether it be the Jets, the Packers, or the Raiders. He was literally just going in there to clear his mind and that is it come to a census. And apparently he has. And now he is on a vacation in Cabo. So. We have no clue when he's going to make this decision or if he even makes a decision because at this point, I don't even think he's going to make a decision. I just think he's going to go off into the sunset and he may even retire. I think that is certainly on the table for Aaron Rodgers, but we'll see. Hopefully, it's by the end of the week, but I'm not too sure. He's definitely got some time on his hands because the NFL offseason is pretty long, but the Packers, the Jets, and the Raiders need a decision soon so they can start planning their offseason. And for the Jets, it seems like they're really interested in honing in on Derek Carr. That does not intrigue me at all. If you've listened to my past podcasts, you've heard me and my opinions about Derek Carr. I just don't think that Carr and the Jets would be a great fit just because it moves the Jets to a playoff team for sure. I cannot debate that Derek Carr over whatever alternative that's on the team right now is better. 100%, no questions asked. Derek Carr is better than Zach Wilson, Mike White, and whoever else the Jets have on their practice squad. But what is what's the end game here for the Jets? Is it just to get into the playoffs, or is it to actually win a championship? Because if it's to win a championship, you want to put all your chips all in and try to get Aaron Rodgers. If you get Derek Carr, you move from a 7-win team to a 10-win team, and then you get your doors blown off by uh, the Bengals, the Bills, or the Chiefs. That's it. Simple as that. Derek Carr is just not going to elevate the Jets that much. Now, Aaron Rodgers, that's a different story. You got probably a one- or two-year span with Rodgers, and you can win a championship in that span. 100%. You're on the same level with Aaron Rodgers as the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills. That is it. Simple as that. I want Aaron Rodgers, and I will not settle for Derek Carr. One last story in the NFL. Eric Bienemy, who was given a lot of credit for the Chiefs offense throughout the Patrick Mahomes era over the last five or six years, however many years that he was with the Chiefs, he did accept an offensive coordinator job with the Washington Commanders. So Good for Eric Bieniemy that he was able to get out of the shadow of Andy Reid and move to his own offense, have his own team, and be in full control of whatever happens on the offense. I think a lot of people, when the Chiefs were having success, they gave a ton of credit to Andy Reid, they gave a little bit to Eric Bieniemy, and then, of course, Patrick Mahomes is a wizard, but a lot of the credit and the play calling went to Andy Reid, so now Bieniemy gets to run his own offense, and if the Commanders have any sort of success, or the Commanders make the playoffs and do really well with Taylor Heineke, or whoever they have, by the way, the Commanders did just release Carson Wentz today, so it will not be Carson Wentz as the quarterback for Eric Bieniemy, but maybe Taylor Heineke, maybe someone else, whoever it is, if the Commanders are a really good offense, or a top five offense, then we know that Bieniemy at least had a decent-sized role in the Chiefs' success, but Beany now he can parlay this into a head coaching job in a few years. A lot of people, a lot of people in the media and Sports Center and all the talk shows are like, "Why hasn't Beany gotten a job?" Especially going back three years ago, he was a hot coaching candidate. Never got a job. Two years ago, same thing. Never got a job. Last year, never got a job. Now he gets does this lateral move to the Washington Commanders, still the offensive coordinator. I guess he's the assistant coach now or the assistant head coach, which technically it is a move up, but it's still the same position. You're still the offensive coordinator. You're calling the plays, but you're still the offensive coordinator. But if he can turn this offense, which has been very average over the past few years, and if he can turn this offense into an elite offense, then I think we have something here with enemy and he will definitely get a head coaching job if he can turn the commander's offense into, I would say, a top five, maybe even top 10 offense. Top 10 offense would be pretty magical if enemy can do that, especially with Taylor Heineke, who no one even ever heard of until last year or two years ago. So I think it's a... Nice challenge for bien Of course, you're in this profession. You want the challenge. You're very competitive. And I'm sure bien thinks that he can take the commanders to the Super Bowl. So, and if that happens, forget it. I mean, he's going to be the head coach for sure. Someplace, whether it's in Washington or somewhere else when Ron Rivera retires. Doesn't matter. He will get a head coaching job if he he has really good success for the commanders. And if he doesn't, I think he's still got a pretty good chance because a lot of people view the commanders as an organization that is very toxic and not very functional. And a lot of people are probably just going to say, you know what? That's just a terrible situation, no win situation for BNME. And, uh, you know, we'll cut him some slack and give him another chance somewhere else. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as we get to next season. That'll do it for me on this Monday podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back on Friday to recap everything that happened this week. Until then, have a safe, healthy week, and I'll talk to you on Friday.